enough here probably for three weeks. So I know we don't have notes from, because I did not have notes when we got into this part two. We we're talking about the nation of Israel. And when I was going back in the last couple of days, I was looking. I thought we had gotten further along in this, but we really, we really haven't. But, so we're looking at the, the signs of the times, and I'm just going to jump right in here, okay? So we're going to be looking at, and all of what we're studying for the next probably the next several weeks as we look at this introduction to the signs of the times this is this is I'm using as a as a guide for this part of our study uh, David Jeremiah's book signs of the times so that's where I'm going if you want to read the book you're going to hear a lot of what I'm sharing with you it's coming from there a lot of this information a couple other resources I'm pulling in but we talked about on May 14th 1948 that's the date when, when Israel, Israel declared independence. So what a huge day that that was. I mean, it, it, we'll, we'll get to this, and I'll mention this later, but if, if, you, if you don't have that, I don't know that we can stand here and say we're in the end times. There's no way to really make that argument because Israel is so key in the end time events that if, if Israel is not, is, has not yet been put back together, we, we, we understand we have to see that. Well, 1948, May 14th, 1948, we saw that. And we talked about in the, the weeks leading up to where we got to tonight, as to how miraculous that was. When you look at the history of Israel for the thousands of years, the fact that that land, while being occupied, it was never another nation. No other nation ever said, you know, put their flag up and they were sovereign as a nation right there. Never. God protected that land. And then to see how you go in a, in a, in a world that is so anti-Semitic and you go through World War II and just like this, the dominoes are falling for Israel to become a nation. So it was an amazing thing. So Israel becomes a nation there in 1948. When we looked last time, we were talking about the Abrahamic covenant there in Genesis chapter 12. Um, now the, Lord had, uh, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So if you want to turn to, to Genesis 12, we're going to, be, we're going to look at that. And you can reference these as I go through it. But in way of review, we looked at four things here. There are four unconditional promises that God made right there at Abraham. And the first was this. He said, I will bless you. Well, we said we went through that. Check. Abraham was definitely blessed. When you look at his life, God blessed him greatly. He was blessed. And God says, I will make you a great nation. Again, check. And we talked about the nation of Israel and the number of, of those people and how God had blessed through that. And, and, and so God made of Abraham exactly what he had promised. He made a great nation of him. There's another check. He said, and you shall be a blessing. Well, the, the, the Jews have been a blessing. We, we looked at those details. They've been a blessing to the world. You know, without them, we have no Bible. We, we, we talked about that. They wrote all but, but Luke and Acts. Uh, those two books perhaps are the only two that were not written by a Jew. Every other book in the Bible was written by Jews. Uh, no Ten Commandments. You don't have that because obviously you don't have the Word of God. You have no Jesus if it's not for the Jews. And without the Jewish Jesus, we have no Christianity. So the whole world has been blessed, and so you get a check there. Then, then the last thing is, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And when we see here this, this, this unconditional promise 
that, you know, I think it's, it's, I think it's one of the reasons that our country has been blessed. You know, from 48, the, the, the time that, that Israel declares their independence, and, I mean, just moments later, we sign a proclamation recognizing that. Was it Truman? I think it was Truman. And so, I mean, and he was just tickled to death to do that. He's, later on, someone was talking to him. Uh, someone from Israel was sharing with him how he, they believed that God had, had put him in the womb for that moment right there. And Truman, they said, just wept. As I mean, imagine, imagine that. There's a lot of things you'd do as president that would be pretty, pretty awesome. I can't think of many that would be more amazing than that in the, in the history. Is. And we as a nation, we recognize Israel and so I, I just believe that's one of the reasons we've been blessed. I, if, you, if you read a lot, you read different things, you'll see there's, there's been some studies done of times in our history where we had natural disasters in America that coincide almost exactly like to the day of times that we, we did things against Israel, where we signed things that went against them. Uh, I think one of them was with Katrina. When Katrina hit, we had made some type of a proclamation or, or we had signed something where we didn't stand with them. And Katrina hit and just a few days later. And there have been several of those events through our history. And, but, but we see how we're blessed as a nation. And people can argue if they want to. But, uh, but the facts remain that you know, Donald Trump was very pro-Israel. And his presidency was blessed. Our country was doing well uh, in, in his presidency. So uh, you see the blessing there, and then you see those who um, come against Israel, and, and they don't tend to do so well. Uh, so that's where we knocked off last time. So now we're looking at this. So this covenant includes, there are seven important features that are in this covenant. Now, the first one is this, it's, it's an unconditional covenant. So back in the day to establish, back in that day to establish and confirm a covenant, the two parties would talk between, they would walk between the pieces of the sacrificial animal. So they would make this sacrifice and they would cut up the pieces and they would prepare this sacrifice. And what they would do is they would walk between those pieces of that sacrifice before they were burned. And what they were saying was, in an essence, is, is may what has happened to these creatures happen to me if I break the covenant. That's basically what they were saying. You know, we're walking among this. Should this happen to me if I break my covenant with you? Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 15 and then you read, in fact, if somebody, somebody will turn there, I'll let you read that. Uh, Genesis 15 and uh, have you read out verse 17. And what, what you're going to see is that this was a covenant. Uh, it wasn't an agreement between two equals. What you had here is a covenant that God was making that was an unconditional covenant. It didn't have anything to do with what Abraham did or did not do. This was the covenant God made with Abraham. And so Abraham did not walk through those pieces. So who's got, who's got that one to read that for me? Canaanites and the Rigashites and the Jebusites. 
and the termites were in there too, I think. But, <laughs> but you caught that at the beginning, that, that fire, that flame that passed through there. That was the Lord passed through there. He made the covenant. He made the covenant with Abraham there. He did not, uh, Abraham did not walk through there. God walked through there. God made the covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. Second thing is it's a personal covenant. Verse 2 that we read, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So God used the personal pronouns you and your there in that, in that covenant there, in that promise there, 11 times the personal pronoun of you and your. So God's promises here are far-reaching and eternal, but, but uh, were made first to Abram and then... Um, and then they have been fulfilled. So the promises he made to Abram, he fulfilled them. God told Abram to go. Abram went, and it was as God promised. He promised what he was going to do. He told him to go. He goes. He obeys God, and God blesses. God keeps his promise, and God always keeps his promise. And when Abram gets to the land that the Lord had promised him, his flocks and herds grow exponentially, and Abram becomes very wealthy. He became very powerful in that time. And, and, and so you see there, the Lord made a great nation of him in his day. He was already, what was there in his day, it wasn't that he had to just take by faith that one day it was going to be great and his descendants would be. He was great and powerful in that day. He made a great name for Abraham even at that time. Uh, the land was promised to Abram's descendants, but it was first Abram's home throughout his life. So when Abram went there, it wasn't like he's waiting and, and wondering again in the days ahead, my, my children and my descendants will have this land. No, he had the land. God gave it to him. He went and he possessed the land and he was blessed in the land. So God kept his covenant with Abram and then he has kept his promise through, the, through the, all, the, all the years of history with Abram's descendants. So God also has made Abram's name great, even in his own time. Abram was known throughout the land as a rich and powerful leader. He was highly respected and feared. He was a powerful man, so God kept his promise, that personal covenant. But it was also a national covenant. Also in verse 2 it says, and I, will, and I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. So Israel's true greatness will be in the millennium, amen? But even today, you can't argue that Israel is not a great nation at 73 years young. It amazes me all that Israel, the power that Israel has as, as, as a country of 73 years, um, and the way God has protected them. In their short history, they've won truly miraculous victories in the face of seemingly impossible odds. I mean, uh, multiple times. The day after they sign their independence, they declare independence. The next day, the whole world around them is attacking. They're in war. And they fight for months, and they're victorious. That was miraculous. But then you come into the, what was it, 69? 60, 67, the six-day war. Six days, their enemies come against them, highly outnumbered. And we'll, we'll look more at that. But 73 years, and God has blessed them, and they are a great nation. Um, they're financially and militarily strong. Today, they are. Professor... Amnon Rubinstein summarizes the nation's achievements. He says, Minute in size, not much bigger than a sliver of Mediterranean coastline, it has withstood continuing Arab onslaughts, wars, boycotts, and terrorism. It has turned itself from a poor rural country to an industrial and post-industrial powerhouse. It has reduced social, educational, and health gaps between Arabs and Jews... 
Some of its achievements are unprecedented. And I've shared with you some of the, having been in the country. Brother Glenn, have you been to Israel? When were you there? Okay, 70, so even from 77, I went in 02 and 04, and I went again two years ago. And the cha- I saw change, great change, from 04 to 19, I saw change. It went down around the Dead Sea area, it's amazing, the life that you see around that Dead Sea now. There, there's, I mean, I've shared in here, they've gone in there, and they've figured out ways to take the salt out of the ground and the ground is useful in that area where everything was dead because of the salt. It's just amazing. And, and there's, no, there's no other way to explain it other than to say that, I mean, they're God's chosen people. They're special people and God's blessing. Even, even though right now the place in history where they are, we know where they are right now. Um, God's blessing is still on them. His hand of protection is still on them. And so it, it's amazing when you look at those achievements. All right, next thing is the territorial covenant, the territorial covenant. So God told Abram to leave his land and go to a land that I will show you. And this land would belong to Abram's descendants forever. So the geographical boundaries of that were all the land from the Mediterranean Sea uh, looking to the west to the Euphrates River going to the east. Do you all know where the Euphrates is? We would probably easily identify that from Baghdad. Today, we, we, we would know the river that ran through Baghdad and through Iraq and down in there. And we know the Euphrates. So that, to that river, it was, it was part of that. Ezekiel established the northern boundary at Hamath, Hamath uh, 100 miles north of Damascus. So that's a long, 100 miles north of Damascus. It's far further than any border of Israel today. Or, or, but that was the border then. It was what was established then. 100 miles south, I'm sorry, about 100, yeah, 100 miles north of Damascus, and the southern border at Kadesh, about 100 miles south of Jerusalem. So you look at that area, this encompasses all the land of modern-day Israel, Lebanon, the West Bank of Jordan, plus substantial portions of Syria, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. So this is a huge area. All right. Now, not even in the days of David and Solomon was Israel occupied have they occupied all of this land? Even in their most prominent day, they, they have not as a nation yet occupied all the land. If we, if we drew that out on a map, they've not yet occupied all that land. Now, let me say this. Occupation is not the same as ownership. Right? So, because, just because they haven't occupied it doesn't mean it's not theirs. And if God has promised they're going to have that land, you can, be, you can rest assured they will have that land. And we're, we're going to talk more about that uh, later on. That is significant in these end times things. Because they have not yet possessed all this land does not change the fact that it is theirs and that they will indeed one day possess it. Deuteronomy eleven twelve Israel is a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. So the Lord is his eyes. I love that. The Lord's eyes are on that land. There, there's just no denying. And Brother Glenn, let me ask you this. When you were there, did you feel something special in just the presence of being there? Yeah. When we left, 
All three times when we left, Gina, you may, you, you may can relate to this. I, 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 you know, I didn't want to leave. I, I just didn't want to leave. There's something about that land. And, and as you say, it, it is. It's a touch place as you, as you go there. And it, it, one, day, one day when we get through all this uh, COVID stuff um, and, and we can go back over and visit, I, I want to take, take you over there. Whoever we want to go, I want to lead you to Israel. I want you to experience what I've had the pleasure of experiencing. Now, we'll all be there one day. If you're a believer, you're going to be there. But I, I, I want to go, when I go back the next time, uh, in that sense, in the spiritual sense when I'm there, I want to reminisce about the time I was there in the physical. So I want to have something to reminisce about. So I really do. I want to take you there. I'd love for you uh, to go. Someone told me years ago, before I went the first time, he said, he said, I really believe that a trip to Israel is as, as good as a year of seminary. I can't argue against that. I think what you see is, and what you experience, what you learn, it is, is super valuable. It's a cra- crazy, crazy, amazing thing. All right, next thing is this. It's a reciprocal covenant. It's a reciprocal covenant. Number three, verse three. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. So leaders and nations that ally with Israel... Uh, to uh, preserve, protect, and defend Israel will in turn be preserved, protected, and defended. And on the contrary, those who stand in the way of Israel's well-being will find themselves standing against God, meaning they will not stand long. You get that? You want to stand against Israel, you won't stand long. Egypt, go back to Exodus chapter 7 through 12, and you see the plagues. You see the destruction of Egypt's army at the Red Sea. They, they, they were against Israel. They wanted to destroy Israel, and God destroyed them. You have the Amorites. They resisted Israel's march toward their promised land, and they were soundly defeated. If you go back, and you can read that in Numbers chapter 21. The Midianites, they joined with Moab trying to stop Israel in Numbers 30, uh, 31. And Moses prepared Israel for war, and the battle was quick and decisive. And all the Midianite cities, they were burned to the ground, and Israel plundered much gold, silver, bronze, tin, lead and wood along with cattle, sheep, and donkeys. So it, doesn't, it, do, it didn't back then, it didn't make sense to stand against Israel. Then Babylon. Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and deported the Jews from their homeland. Then they were defeated 70 years later by the Persians. One of Israel's worst uh, persecutors, the Greek uh, Seleucid ru- ruler um, Antonio... Antonio... And, and, you ever get there? Antonio, uh, and I can't say it. Anti, oh, there we go. Anti, Antiochus, Antiochus the fourth. You should practice those more before you're going to say them publicly. <laughs> Antiochus the fourth, and he died a horrible death shortly after hearing that his army had been defeated uh, in the Jewish Maccabean rebellion. Okay. So then you go to the communists in Russia. Jews were forbidden to practice their religious rights, and, and many were arrested, deported, and executed, and, and Russia has struggled. We see that. Germany. Now, when you go back to the Russians, that was back in the days, the czars and stuff, even before the communists. And then the communists took over, and there was persecution there, and, the, and, they've, and they've struggled. And then you see Germany, and we know what the Germans did to the Jews. You know what the, the, all of the, it was entailed with the Holocaust, and, and, you know, at one point, you would look at, if you look at the history there, there was a point where you would have said, there's no way Germany loses this war. 
There's no way. And yet we know the history of that, that in the end they were crushed. I mean, they were crushed. I mean, it's, it's almost when you look at Germany and the way that worked, it, it makes me think of the Six-Day War. When, when the bat, those that are fighting against Israel are out there in the desert shooting at each other. They're firing on each other, destroying each other. And God brought confusion upon them. They were seeing things. And, and you just have to imagine, I mean, we know Hitler was a nut anyway. But the decisions that he made as the absolute dictator were just foolish decisions. And I believe God guided some of those decisions that absolutely destroyed them as an army. In 1967, the United Arab Republic allied with Jordan, Syria, and the Palestinian guerrillas to attack Israel from the north, south, and east. And uh, when you look at how they were outnumbered, the Arab armies had over 500,000 men. The Israeli army had about 75,000 men. The Arab armies had 5,000 tanks. The Israelis had 1,000. The Arab armies had over 900 aircraft. The Israelis had about 175. I mean, when you look at it on paper, there is no way in the world that Israel stands and wins that battle. And yet in six days, after six days of conflict, the UAR had lost almost its entire air force, about 20,000 lives, and Israel had taken over significant Arab-controlled territories, including the Sinai Peninsula, the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip, and the West Bank. Um, it's amazing. You want to stand as a nation or as a leader in this nation against Israel? Uh, you, uh, it's not, that's not a very wise decision. That's not a good life, long life plan. Okay, Not a good long life plan. Benjamin Netanyahu at the UN General Assembly on October the 1st, 2015, he said this. He said, in every generation, there were those who rose up to destroy our people. In, in antiquity, we faced destruction from the ancient empires of Babylon and Rome. In the Middle Ages, we faced inquisition and expulsion. And in the modern times, we faced pogrom, pogroms, which were organized massacre of a particular ethnic group. That's what the, the, the Russians did. They, they were pogroms. And then the Holocaust, yet the Jewish people persevered. He goes on to say, And now another regime, a regime has risen, swearing to destroy Israel. That regime would be wise to consider this. I stand here today representing Israel, a country 67 years young, but the nation state of a people nearly 4,000 years old. Yet the empires of Babylon and Rome are not represented in this hall of nations. Neither is the thousand-year Reich. Those seemingly invincible empires are long gone, but Israel lives. The people of Israel live. Strong, strong. I love the, the statements about Babylon and Rome and their representatives are not here. They're not represented in these halls today. Um, okay, so it was, a, it was also a universal covenant. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, through Abraham, God gave us his written word to the world. Uh, and we've already talked about that. So the world has been blessed. And every person that has ever lived 
has been blessed by Abraham in one way or another. He has, all the families of the earth, that is a, a true thing. It's God has answered that covenant. And it's an eternal covenant. Now, the Abrahamic covenant came in three stages. It was first given in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Then it was formalized in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 22. And then it was amplified in Genesis 17, verses 1 through chapter 18, verse 21. So God reminded Abraham in Genesis 17 that his promise was a forever promise. It wasn't some, some temporary thing. This was for a forever promise. And it is an everlasting promise because it is, it is an unconditional covenant based on the grace and sovereignty of Almighty God. It was not based on Abraham. It was not based on the Jews or anyone else. It's based on God's goodness. Amen? So, so it, it was an everlasting promise. So God's promises will come to pass. They are eternal and he will never go back on his promise. They, they may be delayed. And, and, and I would say that when you talk about the possession of the land, that has been a delayed promise. It has not yet been fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled. And I believe it will be fulfilled very soon. Uh, it may be delayed, it may be postponed, but certainly fought against. God's will in these things is always fought against. It's a spiritual battle with all these things, but it will be fulfilled. His purposes and His will is always defilled, uh, fulfilled. Um, the, now, so let's look at the return uh, to the to the uh, the return to the God of Israel. Now, this is this is David Jeremiah. So this is what he says in, in this book as he's asked this question. And the question is, now that Israel is restored to its land, is this the end? That's the question. And that would be the question that's been many have asked and many have proposed that, you know, this, this is it. This is the end. This is Israel, and that's the key. And, you know, I've shared with you all in here that, we, we, you know, I remember reading how Lindsay's late great planet Earth, and one generation from that point, it was, it was so many years, and so you, you, you add those years, and it's got to be here. Well, a generation, no, no, it's got to be here, so it's here. I mean, now we're, we're what, 73 years out, and so what's a generation? So we're not sure. But here's what he says to that. He says the answer to that question is, now that Israel is restored to its land, is this the end? He says no. And the return, and here's the reason why. So the return of the Jews right now, the return of the Jews to their land in this nation it is, is primarily the result of Zionist movement, whereas Ezekiel wrote about a spiritual return of God's people to him. If you go back and you read in Ezekiel 36, he speaks of a spiritual awakening, a spiritual return of the, the nation of Israel to God. He's just not talking about the, the Jews coming back and occupying the land. He's talking about them coming back to him. They're going to come back in the land. They're a nation. They are now a nation that's recognized. They're not just Jews scattered all across the world, and they're still Jews scattered all across the world, but the Jews are back in their own land. It's not another land. We didn't give them land in South America or Central America. It is their land that God gave to them, promised to them, and now they're back. But it, that, again, was a Zionist movement. It wasn't a spiritual they didn't, they didn't all of a sudden become Christian and, and they've come back to the Lord in that way. But look at what Ezekiel 36 says, beginning in verse 24, read 24 through 28. He says, For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. 
I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of, a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Now, what does that sound like, folks? It, it, it's, a, it's a true spiritual coming to the Messiah. It, it's, a, it's a spiritual birth. This isn't just a, 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 a Jewish thing of coming back to the land. This is a, a, a thing of Jewish people coming back to the Lord spiritually, being born again. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I, give, that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. So he says this is the first step of this uh, prophesied regathering, but does not fulfill the requirements of a spiritual return to the land. Now, God promised it, so you can rest assured that it's going to happen. He promised that. Uh, Zechariah um, 12, 12, 10, I, and I will pour... And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In Romans 11, we see in verse 26, it says, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. We know there's a spirit, there's a time where the Israel is going to, they're, they're, they're going to, they're, we know this. We know from, as we study, we study this and you look at this in, in, the, in the, uh, the, the time of tribulation, the 144,000 are Jewish preachers. They're, they're born again Jews, they're, they're Messianic Jews, they're completed Jews, they're whatever you want to call them, they're Christians, they're born again, they're following uh, the, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. There is a spiritual birth, and they're going to, those 144,000 are going to be going all over the world witnessing and, and preaching and testifying. So there's two prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled. The first one is that Israel does not yet occupy all the land originally promised to it. And we looked at that land. That, that they have a little bitty piece of that. And if you look at Israel, even today there's big chunks that really, they're not a part of Israel. There's part of that West Bank they share in there that comes in and part of Jerusalem and, and, and that area there. And, and then you got the Gaza down there, the lower, the lower end uh, on the Mediterranean, down the southern part of that, so you got pieces that that real they don't they it's it's in there, but it's not really they're not they're going to own it all. they're going to get it all they already own it they're going to have it all everything that God gave them what He promised to them north to south Mediterranean to the Euphrates that they will occupy that land if God says it it's going to happen and that day's coming and the Jews have not yet turned to Christ. So these are all signs of the second coming. Now remember as we talk about the, the second coming, because you, know, you don't want to get confused. Again, we're not talking, when we talk about the rapture, we're not talking about the second coming. That's not the second coming. The rapture is, is different. The Lord's going to call us, and, and the world's not going to see him. They're not going to know. I mean, can, can you imagine the chaos that's going to come when we just disappear? I mean, they're preparing for it now because, I mean, it's, it's all us, it, it's us crazies. You know, we have a mental illness. And I've heard this. I've heard talk that 
for you to become a, be a Christian, there's, they're trying to say that there's, there's something wrong with your brain. And, and that's what makes you lean on faith. You, you, you're, you're a person that's apt to that by, by this mental illness that you have. Um, so they're going to blame it. I'll take it. If that's it, I'm guilty. Give me a double dose. I don't want an antidote. Uh, what else? They, uh, oh, you know, it could be a virus. So instead of Omicron, Omicron, is that what it is? Omicron? Instead of that, it'll be like the gamma force or something's going to hit. And they're going, oh, all these people disappeared by this new variant of this virus. And that, they'll explain it away with that. Or, or even better, I've heard this one. The aliens. Y'all, have y'all noticed how much the alien talk has increased here recently? I mean, the, the military's releasing videos. Isn't that kind of strange that the military's releasing videos and trying to go, oh, I, I, you know, I think wherever there's smoke, look where it will look. Go, go look in the backyard because there's something else going on. So they'll, they'll try to explain it away. But imagine, I mean, there's Christian pilots. Jason, if you're alone in your plane and the rapture comes, that plane's going to land somewhere and you ain't going to be in it. But they're going to try to figure out and try to explain, explain that. What, what's going on? Imagine the chaos that that's, going to, that that's going to be around that. But it's coming. That day's coming. So that's the rapture. And then, but, but going back to this, all of these things that lead up to the Lord's second coming. How far from the Lord's second coming is the rapture? By what we believe. Now, there's others that believe different things. But what I believe... Seven years. So if the rapture happens right now, when the Lord's coming back in seven years, the clock ticks toward that, that from that point. But we, so we can know. So the reason these signs are important is if we're within seven years of the Lord's return, we're off, you know, we're, we're close, right? So, so here, here's the point of this. What does this, you know, what does this mean for me? What should it mean for you? Uh, when we look at the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, we can't help but consider the reality of God. Amen. We see His overwhelming power. We see the authenticity of His promises. We see the certainty of His existence. We see the urgency of His call to us and His claim on our very being. And here's, here's what I would say as we look to, again, as we look to prophecy, why do we study this? Why should, you, why, why should we pay attention to this? And I, and I was reluctant. I told you all this. I was reluctant to get into this study. And this, we may be in this for a couple of years. I don't know how long. But we're going we're gonna to work through some things, and then we're going to get into to Revelation, and we're going to work through Revelation. But why should, we, why should it matter? Why should we take interest You want to be ready, and you want, to, you want to bring everybody you can with you. I mean, the, the, the fact is, the days are short. And, and there's coming a time where day's, day's going to be done. And the night comes when no one can work. And if you've got family that's lost, don't wait you got neighbors that need to hear the gospel, don't wait. If you have co-workers that you need to talk to, don't wait. We have a, we have a, 
I mean, look how many are in here tonight. Gina, what's the count? Okay, so we've been hovering right about 50 in here. So there's 50 in here. There's 5,000 people in Geneva. We got 50 in here tonight. Yeah. What does that mean? Now, it doesn't mean everybody that ain't here is lost. But I, I promise you, a lot of the people, the majority of the people that are around us are lost. Do we care? I don't care. I'm going to heaven. That's not what the Lord told us. We should care. This should motivate us. It should inspire us. It should challenge us, encourage us. It should be wind in our wings. It, it should be the, 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 the juice that makes us go. Because, folks, your 401k don't matter. Now, if the Lord tarries, it might matter a little bit. But it really don't matter. I ain't, can't take none of it with me. Gina's wondering how she's going to spend it if, if uh, something happens. <laughs> Not taking it with us. All that matters is, is doing what the Lord's told us to do. That's bottom line. And winning those that are lost. And so, let it, let it motivate you. Here's an easy one. Take those cards in the back and pass them out to your friends and your family and get everybody you can here on the 11th. Get everybody you can here on the 19th. We're going to do Christmas music every Sunday between now and, and the Sunday even after Christmas. There's going to be a Christmas message. We've got four Christmas messages coming. People will come to hear a Christmas message when they may not come any other time. Invite folks to come. It's amazing how many people will come if you invite them. And if you wear them out, they'll maybe show up at some point just to shut you up. <laughs> and that's okay. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Any questions or comments? I'm glad I didn't pass out the notes because we didn't get there, but we will start fresh next week. I have the notes ready for next week. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Hmm. Yes, sir. The only other thing I would say you touched on it is the important thing is that God made the covenant with us. We didn't make it with him, so he can't break it. Somebody might say, well, you could change your mind. Well, we could change our mind, but he's not going to change his mind. He made the covenant with us. So it's solid as a rock. Mm-hmm. It's an unconditional covenant. It's, it's there. All right. All right. 
Brother Glenn, if you would, if you'll stand and uh, if you'd dismiss us in prayer, I'd appreciate that. Hope you all have a great rest of the week. If there's anything we can do for you, let us know. If you don't know Brother Glenn, come by and meet him before you get out of here tonight.